Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to this episode of The Strange Catholic Show. This week, Bob's going to bring us his first cup. We're going to talk about Eucharistic coherence. What does that mean? Why is that even being talked about? Bob is giving me the same kind of, like, what is that? Terry is going to talk about St. Ephraim, the deacon, for opening prayer. Let us begin with Bob. All right. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and glorious God, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather in your name again and, and just talk about you and, and the Catholic faith with our wonderful brothers and our listeners. Uh, as we go today, just please be present for us. We know you're present, but just please make sure that we can feel your presence as we're talking about the Eucharist and, and other topics of the day. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. So just a short shot of caffeine. You know, I don't really have a heresy to talk about this week. I don't have like a favorite pope, which we're going to get to here in the next few weeks. We're going to you know, do the dueling popes thing and see who, which popes we like better than others. Who's going to win? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, right. The listeners should vote. How about that? I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, Let's invite them. Let's have a contest. We need to get listeners somehow. We need to get feedback somehow, folks. Hey, I want somebody in France to send me a, send me a comment. You can send it in French. I can read French. So merci for that. Um, you know, I'm troubled about what's going on in your guys' neck of the woods. You know, I think, you know, our lives move at such a fast pace. You know, there's, there's people who have shut out a lot of the world and uh, what's going on here in Washington because they don't want to hear about politics. Or, or they shut out the news and they don't want to hear about what's going on in the world. But as we heat up into summer, and I know it's going to be very hot there this weekend, I'm just concerned about the, just the continued violence that's going on nationwide, but especially in Minneapolis, right? It's just terrible. And there's just been people getting shot, and it just, it just seems to be continuous. And, and there's, some, there's obviously a racial tint to that. And there's just, there, we just still seem to, even though we have a new administration in office that I will give them the benefit that, that that I hope that they're trying to uh, 
um, trying to, uh, you know, lower that tone and, and try to bring us all together, we still seem apart, you know. And so I'm just concerned going into the summer of, of just where where our focus is. God's not the center of what's going on in this country right now. And, and what the church, what can the church do to help with that? You know, so that's kind of what I'm thinking about this week. Answer that question for me. Well, I mean, I don't have an answer, but, you know, I definitely see that reflected in that the more and more, especially we as a nation, but I mean, you know, even, you know, our microclimate in Minnesota, you know, the more and more that people pull away from God, um, the more and more we see these things kind of unfolding, right? Unraveling the, it can, the thread gets thinner and thinner that bound, you know, that was binding them to God. And the more that we pull away from our creator, the more we become our own creator, right? We become our own law maker, we just take things in our own hands. I mean, we can see that expressed in society in many ways, right? We've seen it not just here in Minnesota or Minneapolis, but we've seen it around the country and really around the world, right? Kind of that deviation from that union with God and trying to live according to how God is asking us to live, accordance with his will, and just doing things our own way. Uh, in the military, uh, they would call it Burger King, right? Have it your way, <laughs> kind of a just a joke, but yeah. Well, and I think too, to add my two cents into the conversation here, it kind of parallels or ties into what we are going to be talking about later on in the show for our main topic. It really, maybe this is a bit of an oversimplification, but it really goes back to us not recognizing the human dignity in each and every created person. Amen. Okay? Preach your brother. Yeah. <laughs> so when we, when we recognize that dignity in each and everybody else, number, number one, and most importantly, and number two, when we recognize that each and everyone else is created in the likeness and image of God, we look at things differently. And I and yes, I get that, you know, there's multiple levels, multiple layers. There's it's a, it's a very the issue of racism is a very, very tangled web. But if in my opinion, if we strip all that away and look at the very core of what the problem is, if we can look at each other with the eyes of Christ and treat each other as Christ would treat us and calls us to do, I think our world would be vastly different. I think sometimes what I, what I find is in the rural parishes or even the somewhat metro where you are, Terry, that a lot of the people Especially the older people are like, hey, that's a problem they got down there. That's their problem down there. And what I don't think what they don't understand is, well, yeah, it is there. It is more a problem down there, but it's everybody's problem. Okay. I mean, it really is. A, it is. 
a more of a collective problem, right? It's not, you know, just a, just a their problem. And I think sometimes, especially in Western culture and in the conservative Western culture, rural areas of where we come from, you know, folks are, are pretty individualistic and, and see their lives as, you know, they determine a lot of things individually. And that's, you know, kind of the essence of who they are and, and all, and this type of thing. And they, they don't, they separate themselves from the collective, you know, Jesus was a, in many ways, a collectivist, right? It was a, all of us kind of thing, right? He didn't just say, oh, the, the hell with those people over there. He didn't do that. Okay. You know, even though, you know, we all have expectations on us personally of the ways, what we should act and, and the way we should be and who we should follow. It also was a collective thing. We don't go to church individually. We come together as a group to worship. So, you know, so I think some of the problems that we have, we need to be attentive to those wherever they are. And a lot of those are in your guys' backyard right now. We, well, we've had plenty of problems here too. But a lot of the flashpoints over the last, certainly since George Floyd, there's been a lot, a lot of, obviously things that you would never would have thought would have happened in, in Minnesota. Right. So, um, you know, and, and there's no easy answers to this stuff. I think Terry put his thumb on it. I mean, we, we really just need to, it's the way we treat people. It also is the destruction of our culture or the secularization of our culture, I guess we could say too. Right. So that's those are the things that are just, it's hurting me today. I said it was going to be short and it went way too long. That's all for the first cup. Now it's time for the main topic. So we talked about that. We're going to talk about Eucharistic coherence. And what does that mean? So the many of the bishops, when they had their ad limina visit, that's their visit when they meet with the, uh, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, they were bringing up this contention that they were feeling and not just within their congregation, but even within themselves that we need to say or do something to help bring those that are publicly breaking away from church teaching but still using that name catholic we need to we need, there is a way that we need to kind of break through that that shell that they have and so when they were speaking with pope francis they were bringing this up as part of their ad limina visits saying we need to do something. We need to do something to try and bring this to the forefront so that we as a, you know, a group of bishops can come up with a statement that we can then bring to our local diocese and help help the Catholics of our diocese to see and understand. And I think we can see a little bit, that maybe you've seen this throughout your diocese. I think we can def, we definitely can see it in St. Cloud, I would say personally. Um, but it, it's this, the true understanding and that Jesus Christ is really, truly present in the Eucharist. And to receive the Eucharist, we want to receive him worthily, as St. Paul talks about, right? St. Paul talks about, we do not want to receive him unworthily, because then we bring damnation upon ourselves. So this is where all of this is coming from. And 
there's a, a couple letters that were written by a couple bishops, and many others have written as well, just talking about this Eucharistic coherence, this trying to bring together and help people realize that when they receive our Lord unworthily, that they are then bringing, you know, damnation and condemnation upon themselves, and they're trying to help open their eyes. Just like whenever there's an excommunication, when people see that, they're like, oh, you're kicking him out of the church. No, an excommunication is a means to bring someone back because then they realize they're not able to receive those sacraments. They're set apart. And it's that way of, you know, when you're pushed away, God's trying to draw you back in. So Archbishop Aquila wrote this beautiful letter um, to his diocese. And other people commented and maybe were not as happy with it because they thought that he was weaponizing the Eucharist. And he has a couple responses that I wanted to read because I think, well, he says it a lot better than I can. So first, this is from Archbishop Aquila. First, I noted that the question about of Eucharistic coherence is not primarily about church law or appropriate discipline, but rather it is a question of love, a question of charity toward our neighbor. I reference St. Paul, who made it clear that there is danger to one's soul if he or she receives the body and blood of our Lord in an unworthy manner. What St. Paul teaches is true for every Catholic, but it is particularly relevant regarding the false witness that many public officials sometimes maintain relative to the most fundamental truths of the human person. I accentuated that when the Church minimizes the danger of an unworthy reception of the Eucharist, she fails to love properly those who continue to jeopardize their souls. It is especially negligent for me as a bishop to remain quiet when people I am called to love may be endangering their eternal souls. Close quote. So that's just his first response. And at least for me, when I hear that, when I read that, and I've you know prayed and read these a number of times, I do feel Archbishop Aquila trying to bring that love, that charity, right? He's trying to open people's eyes to the truths of what's happening when they receive our Lord, in a, in a, especially in a manner when they're, you know, not, they're, bring, they're bringing upon themselves things that maybe they don't know, or they know, but they just think, eh, whatever, or whatever it might be, right? We can fall into paths of sin, and when we bring those mortal sins, those sins that really break us apart from God, and we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, and we haven't brought those mortal sins to confession, this is exactly what he's talking about, to try and bring that charity, to inform people that you should not come and receive our Lord. By all means, come and receive a blessing. Pray a spiritual communion. But he's really trying to guide people that when we're in a state of mortal sin, we should not be receiving our Lord in the Eucharist because we are bringing upon ourselves a condemnation, as St. Paul says. Secondly, he says, I discussed the question of personal conscience. Today, we often hear the primacy of conscience and a person's decision about the Eucharist. Yet, conscience does not excuse any decision simply because a person makes a personal judgment about good and evil. There is a prior obligation that the conscience is properly formed so that good and evil can be properly discerned. A well-formed conscience, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, as he continues, submits the person's heart, will, and mind to the will of our loving Father. We must understand, too, that conscience can be erroneous if not formed, 
and it should never go against God's law. God, not humanity, and most especially not the government determines good and evil. He continues, as a bishop, I have the obligation to assist the faithful in my care to form properly their consciences, consciences that are in accord with the gospel and the church's magisterial teaching. I take this responsibility very seriously, and this why I, and this why I felt compelled to address the error that any baptized Catholic can receive communion if he or she simply desires to do so. Thus, this formation of conscience is especially important within the present cultural context where many, even among Catholic politicians, support and promote abortion, euthanasia, same-sex marriage, and various forms of gender ideology. Thirdly, he continues, I concluded in my article by stating that there needs to be a Eucharistic coherence, that is, that those who receive the risen body and blood of Jesus in communion must be in full communion with the church and her teaching. The present ecclesial situation is an opportunity for me and all bishops to recommit ourselves to an unapologetic preaching of Jesus Christ. What should fill our churches is not a soft peddling of the gospel, but deep, authentic belief in Jesus rooted in our personal love for him as our Lord and Savior. The church offers in love true life, freedom from sin and condemnation, and a holy life lived in Christ Jesus. He continues, I noted that the saints must be our model. They show us how faith in Jesus leads to a radical to surrender to the will of the Father, regardless of political or social consequences, no matter the cost, as even witnessed in the martyrs of today. These are beautiful words from Archbishop Aquila, and I think it speaks, I, I, I do understand where people are saying, well, you're trying to do, you're trying to steer people away, you're trying to push people out, whatever it might be. I can I can see their perspective, right? But I, I think in very, very many ways, knowing the Archdiocese of Denver and many Catholics there, he's really trying to help all of those in Denver and those that he serves. He's really trying to help those souls recognize when they should and should not receive our Lord. He's really trying to make that abundantly clear. Um, so I, I thought this was something topical. The bishops will be meeting and discussing this on August 17th through the, sorry, June 17th through the 19th, I believe, or 17th and 18th are the dates. It's a virtual meeting. Uh, this was something that was put on the agenda in in the spring when they met. So this was already on the docket. Um, other people have tried to have it removed, but because the administrative committee had already met, had already said, this is a thing we're going to talk about. It was already, so it was already there. They weren't just going to remove it because someone said, oh, we, I don't think we should talk about this anymore. So. It's, they're going to have this discussion. So I thought it was good to kind of bring this up, you know, kind of remind us of this, this, you know, this great gift that Jesus Christ gives us in his body, blood, soul, and divinity as we're coming up on. And by the time you hear this, we will have already celebrated Corpus Christi. But just that deep abiding love that Jesus Christ has for us that we cannot yet fathom, but that he wants us to not just be doing pretty good. He really wants us to be as much on the path as we can be. We're all sinners, but he really wants us to be cleansed of those mortal sins. He doesn't want us to stay in sin, but instead calls us to go and sin no more. So what do you got, Terry? Well, thank you for bringing that to light, Phil. And uh, the 
article that you sent over earlier too uh from uh bishop salvatore cordelion um really uh highlights a couple of very important things for me on um reception of the holy eucharist uh i'm calling it up here so it's uh he writes here the purpose of such exclusion with holding the eucharist is medicinal it is intended to help the wrongdoer realize that he or she has wandered from Christ's fold by their ongoing evil behavior. And in this, I think he's talking uh, about those that participate in abortion, uh, as well as politicians and public officials, who, like you said, uh, who in their public life go against what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, but he says here something very profound. No one may share the Eucharist with us unless he or she believes what we teach is true, unless he or she is washed in the regenerating waters of baptism for the remission of their sins, and unless he or she lives in accordance with the principles given to us by Christ. Really, in in all honesty, you know, how can you how can you argue with that? You know, um, with that said, I'm I'm kind of of two minds here. I completely agree with that, but also in my heart, how do we know that what? Our politicians are publicly professing, or we we knowingly know that they're going against the Catholic Church. Um, is any worse of a, a grave sin than what people may be espousing in their own lives? So it's it's kind of a, for me it's an interest interesting dichotomy. Um, where something that I'll have to pray about, think about, uh, maybe even talk with my spiritual director, what is the appropriate pastoral response in a case like this? Clearly, I mean, we're given clear direction in these, uh, both of these articles that I just highlighted and you just highlighted, Phil. Um, but really, what is the appropriate pastoral response? Maybe that might be another. Maybe that might be another whole other podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, they haven't determined that. Yeah, it could be a whole other podcast. Absolutely. I mean, they haven't <laughs> said uh, that. You know, especially you know, like our bishop hasn't said this or that. I brought this up because there's a lot of kind of uh, discussion about whether this should even be a topic at their conference. But there's been a lot of, especially in like the Catholic news circle, this has been talked about a lot. So I thought it'd be relevant to bring up. I mean, and I know we've mentioned um, like the real, real clear opinion research poll before that, you know, only 49% of Catholics believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and only one third or 31% that attend Mass regularly believe that the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we have that disconnect too, right? That's part of it is that understanding of, you know, 
Jesus Christ really present. We talked about Corpus Christi in a previous podcast, which I can link to because I think we did a, I think we explained that quite well. So I don't want to completely bring all that back up. But, you know, part of that is any of these polls that have been done, you know, clearly, I think, especially falls on us to continue to help people to understand and fall greater in love with our Eucharistic Lord. I mean, I don't, I don't think we can speak emphatically enough about that. Well, the first thing I'd ask is, what would Jesus do? <clears throat> now, if you think, hey, Jesus would just, you know, just not go out of his way to be loving towards these people and to educate them, you know, and to try to bring them along, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, Bishop's not saying that, but I mean, it is some harsh language. I mean, it it does just reek of, hey, it's sort of like I got to address the President Biden thing because he's pro-choice, because it does seem at time to time our litmus test in the church happens to be abortion, and it really isn't anything else. Okay, so I, I think we constantly mention abortion, but we don't mention anything, any other specific thing by name at times. Is because we think that's innocent life, and that and those numbers are are too high. Well, one is too high, and oh, by the way, they continue to decrease. Okay, so um, I mean that's just a hopeful thing that someday it'll get to zero. I, I just think it reeks somewhat of politics too, and I think I can see where he's coming from. If you're going to be part of the church, you should be part of the program, right? You should just you should. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> believe those things right but as we've discussed on we discussed on the pre-show show a lot of those people don't know what that is and i know you mentioned more about bringing people along or educating them that's what we need to do we shouldn't shut them off and then i mean i just think it's gratuitous to bring out politicians who say things and and i agree with terry why would you are we are we shutting off priests because they've done things we're not doing that, okay? And there's priests. There's plenty of priests that have made bombastic statements or done certain things. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're not allowed to have communion either. I, I just I just think at some point you have to. Is this really the way to go for the church? You know. But 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 it but it is a conundrum, right? It's. Are you are you going to water down what your faith is by not holding true to your tenets strictly, or are you are you going to drive people away because you're not doing this the correct way? So think about it this way. Think you know, think about it if you're just think of a rank and file person that you know that comes to mass, okay, and now you know whatever the reason is, maybe they're a local politician, right? Or they're a state legislator and they've made some statement. Let's, it's a pro-choice statement. It's some other statement, right? And it's contradictory what the church is. And you say, I'm, we're going to withhold communion for you. <laughs> you should just come for a blessing. Okay, well, how, how first of all, how are you going to handle that? Or how are you going to feel? And second of all, if you don't handle that correctly, they may never come to a Catholic church again. Right? And is that what we want? 
we want a small group, but they're fervent believers, or we want a big tent and we got to do a better job of defining to those people, you know, you know, the reason we believe this, and this is really, really important, and this sets us apart from other Christians because all these things. You know, we've talked a lot about how adult Catholic oh, yeah. education sucks, and it's getting a lot better, but still, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's always room. There's lots of room for improvement in helping people understand their faith more. Obviously, there's a plethora of resources way over and above that what there was even 10 years ago. But there's still a lot of room for improvement, both in helping people understand their faith, to know their faith, and to live it out, you know, even more fervently. So, uh, well, luckily that decision doesn't come to any three of us. This is all up to the bishops to decide. But I mean, you know, it's so to me, it was a good thing to bring up because this is being talked about. It's being written about all over the place. And just, you know, to take this to prayer and just say, okay, well, what is this speaking to me? How can I, how can I take what I know and how can I help others experience and really know this truth of the teaching that we have, that we've had for, you know, 500, this has been going on for a long time. This Feast of Corpus Christi was trying to highlight this specific reverence to show towards Christ in the Eucharist. So I think it's, you know, like this ever-growing teaching of the church to helping us draw into that mystery of Christ present in the Eucharist, draw upon St. Paul's teaching, and and help people to see and understand that. Because I think, and I can both kind of what Archbishop Aquila was responding to and what many others have kind of been saying, instead of just shutting the conversation down with all the bishops, instead let's let them dialogue and see what they come up with and see what's the direction they're giving us as U.S. Catholics to really bring this, how to help people be ever more informed. I know our diocese and dioceses around the country are, are trying to help people understand Christ's presence in the Eucharist, how we are being nourished we're first being gathered, we're nourished, and then we're sent, right? That's part of our diocesan uh, ministry that they're working on this year is gathered, nourished, and sent. So and, and we're not alone in this. This is happening around the country. I think you guys are actually more important than priests in this, from, from this perspective, that the linkage between what you profess and what you believe when you're in the pew directly links to what you do out there in the world. And you can't say these things and say you believe these things here, or let's take the, let's take the believing in the presence, for example, out of this discussion. I know you talked about some numbers, pew or real clear or whoever. But let's just say saying their profession of faith, saying the Lord's Prayer, all these other things, right? And then you go out in society and you do things contradictory to that, which we all do uh, sometimes on a daily basis. Okay, the linkage between that 
and and getting back to where we need to be is reconciliation right and we you know right. and we continue to talk about that but that is really what the linkage is and, and it's really working on that and i think priests not all of them but many priests and even bishops tend to be so removed from the congregation that their you know leadership and their ceremonial figures there are a lot of different things depending on who the bishop is and i think that deacons deacons who are married who have families sometimes they can be very very good linkage to relate to the people in the pews which is what partly what you're supposed to do you know hey this is what the people are saying and do that and help explain to them you know I got it. You're going to go out there and you're going to do some of these things. Okay. But you have a choice not to do some of those things. And if you do those things, you know, you got to ask yourself, should I come be coming back in here and professing these things? If I'm going out there and doing those things. Okay. And if I made a mistake. I would say without being reconciled first, right? Without that reconciliation. Right, right, right. And if I'm doing those things, you know, you know, maybe it's going to be this. We're we're never we're never going to tell you that the door is locked for you to come back in when you do those things, okay? Because you're always welcome in here, but you're not truly present or whole or really in communion with the community and with Christ unless you go through the reconciliation. Part, which still, I mean, has such a negative connotation to it. Because as humans, I mean, you know, it makes us feel like Adam and Eve. It makes us feel vulnerable and naked, and we're trying to cover ourselves up. And as yeah. I told you, I had nothing to say in this segment. And look at that. I've said nothing. Look at look at you. Look, look at, at that. You with look your at that. profound wisdom. Thank you, Bob. That was wonderful. Just one last thing to add here, Phil, and that's kind of going back to uh, your talk about the Eucharist. Uh, maybe we we would want to link to that YouTube video, The Veil Removed, um, in our show notes. Oh, yeah. Great. We can do that again. Great, great representation and the visualness of what we celebrate at Mass is so well encompassed in that five minute video. I, I just can't say enough about it. I, I can't, couldn't agree more. It's a beautiful visualization to the reality of what happens at each and every mass. Let's take a break so I can get my clothes back on. So I don't feel vulnerable anymore. And we'll be right back right after this. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Bob. We're back. Not in the buff anymore. And we're ready for the Saint Spotlight. Take it away, Terry. I have to gain my composure after that. So the Saint, thank you, Bob. The Saint Spotlight this week is uh, profiling Saint Ephraim, who is a deacon and a doctor. Uh, His feast day comes up on June the 9th. He's the patron saint of spiritual directors and spiritual leaders. Saint Ephraim called The Harp of the Holy Spirit is the great classic doctor of the Syrian church. 
born in Nisbis, Mesopotamia, then under Roman rule, early in the fourth century. The name of his father is unknown, but he was uh, believed to have been a pagan priest of the goddess Abnil or Abizel. His mother was a native of Ahmed. Ephraim was instructed in the Christian mysteries by St. James, the famous bishop of Nisbis, and was baptized at the age of 18, some sources say 28. Thenceforth, he became more intimate with the holy bishop who availed himself of the services of Ephraim to renew the moral life of the citizens of Nisbis, especially during the sieges of 338 A.D., 346, and 350 A.D. He was later ordained a deacon and apparently declined any further advancement, even feigning madness as a way of avoiding Episcopal consecration. When the Christian emperor had to cede Nisbis to the Persians in 363, Ephraim fled as a refugee to Edessa, along with many other Christians. Now he settled in Edessa, present-day Iraq, and retired to a cave. He did not, however, live as a hermit, but made frequent trips into the city to preach and to serve the church. Biographers say that his preaching on the end times moved his listeners so deeply that their sobs often competed with his speaking eloquence. As a deacon at Edessa, he vigorously combated the heresies of his time and to do so more effectively wrote poems and hymns about the mysteries of Christ, the Blessed Virgin, and the saints. Ephraim was largely responsible for demonstrating that poetry and hymns could be made, or mode rather, of theological discourse. Though not greatly learned, he was skilled at translating orthodox theology into liturgical hymns, sometimes borrowing melodies from popular songs of that day. He would take the popular songs of the heretical groups and using their melodies, compose beautiful hymns embodying orthodox doctrine. Ephraim became one of the first to introduce song into the church's public worship as a means of instruction for the faithful. Aside from hymns extolling such mysteries as the Incarnation, the Virgin Birth, and the Immaculate Conception of Mary, Ephraim wrote hymns against various heresies. Ephraim also wrote a great number of hymns defending the Nicene Orthodoxy. That is why he is known as the Harp of the Holy Spirit. Within Ephraim's writings, he defends the primacy of Peter and the Pope's and speaks of Mary as being free from any taint of sin. You and your mother, Lord, are the only perfect, be perfectly beautiful ones. There was no stain of sin in your mother. One of his favorite topics was death and the last judgment. His vivid depictions of heaven and hell later influenced the writings of Dante. St. Gregory of Nicaea said of him, the splendor of his life and his doctrine illumine the entire universe. Late in his life, the deacon made a pilgrimage to the city of Caesarea, where God had directed him to seek the guidance of the Archbishop 
later canonized as St. Basil the Great, helped Ephraim to resolve some of his own spiritual troubles, giving him advice which he would follow as he spent his final years in solitary prayer and writing. Near the end of his life, Ephraim briefly left his hermitage to serve the poor and the sick during a famine. His last illness came in 373, most likely from a disease he contracted through this service. When his own death approached, he told his friends, Sing no funeral hymns at Ephraim's burial. Wrap not my carcass in any costly shroud. Erect no monument to my memory. Allow me only the portion and place of a pilgrim. For I am a pilgrim and a stranger as all my fathers were on earth. St. Ephraim of Syria died in June of 373. Soon after his death, he was remembered in a public address by his contemporary, St. Gregory of Nicaea, who closed his remarks by asking Ephraim's intercession, you are now assisting at the divine altar and before the Prince of Life with the angels praising the most holy trinity. Remember us all and obtain for us the pardon of our sins. St. Ephraim was declared a doctor of the church by Pope Benedict XV in 1920. St. Ephraim of Syria, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Beautiful saint to highlight. Sure. Yes, Thank it is. Too. And a deacon to boot. Amen. Amen. And that's all he ever wanted to be. So that's it. That's it. All right. Well, it's that time of the show again. Time for you to tell us what you think. Time to rate us on the podcast platform you listen to us on whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, wherever it is, Anchor. There's a lot of them out there. Please rate us. Five is what we ask for. If you could, you know, it it would be very, very helpful and and allow for others to find us and listen to us. Please share this. Share this with your friends. Please come out of your caves. If that's what you need to do and share this, you can write us a poem. Send us a message. We'll translate it for you if it's in a different language. But but please communicate with us. Tell us. Tell your friends. Uh, you know, let us know what you think because we're here to pray for you and pray with you. you. You know what? You can even send me your most popular song or hymn. I would love to hear it. So even a video you, of a liturgical dance, maybe. That's right, a liturgical dance. That would be fine. And you can send that through all those podcast platforms. To communicate with us, but there is a really a much easier and better way, and that is here at this location. StrangeCatholicsPod at gmail.com. You can send us a voice message to anchor.fm forward slash strangecatholics. There's a button right there to leave us a voice message. We encourage all of you to watch the less edited video version of the podcast. A link will be in the description to our YouTube channel. Right, YouTube. So there's not enough, there's not a lot of people coming and watching our YouTube channel right now. And I guess I'm just perplexed as to why 
people don't want to just come on YouTube and see how beautiful I am. So please come to YouTube and see how beautiful I am. And we'll go from there or how vain I am, I guess. So maybe that'll get more people. But yeah, maybe that'll do maybe. it. Can't maybe get that's, any lower that's what it will take. We have now. <laughs> it's true. We need people to show up and watch and share right. and comment. Whatever the reason is. Now it's time for closing prayer, and I throw that to... Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you hear these petitions we bring before you. We ask for the intercession of St. Ephraim, that he would be a great intercessor for us, and his life be a great model for us, all of us, to live that life of being a herald of your word, herald of the people. Lord, we pray for the protection of life from conception until natural death. Pray for all those that are pregnant or struggling to become pregnant. Pray for those that are about to give birth, especially of Sabrina, possibly, and Katie, all of those that are struggling to become pregnant as well. Pray for Raul and Jennifer and for all married couples all those that are preparing to be married, those that are struggling in their marriages, that each and every one of them draw upon the graces that God has given them in the sacrament of holy matrimony. We pray for the repose of the soul of Marissa and all the souls of the faithful departed. May eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and her soul and all the souls of the faithful departed by the mercy of God rest in peace. We pray for Austin, Gary, Sharon, and all recovering from any illness or surgery. You, the divine physician, Lord, we ask you to please reach your healing hand upon them all in accordance with your will. Lord, we bring before you all these prayers, those that are held in our heart. Pray for all of our listeners that you would bless them. Help them to see and realize the truth and the beauty you've given us. Help us to continue to be open to your presence and always draw our adoration to you. Pray all these things through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Amen. Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next week. And until that time, love you, brothers. Love you, love brothers. You brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day and may God bless you.